listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. Hi, this is Scott Love, and thanks for joining me on the Rainmaking Podcast. This is our second show in a series with Deb Zahn, who's a management consultant who's very successful within her niche and who also consults to consultants looking to grow their practices. Today, we're continuing our conversation called The Path to Closing a Deal. Now, even if you're not in consulting, if you're an attorney, if you're doing some other sort of professional services, if you're in high-level sales, you're still going to get a lot of great ideas from Deb's expertise and her wisdom. Also, make sure you check out her website. It's craftofconsulting.com. She's the host of the Craft of Consulting podcast, which features other successful consultants who share their strategies and insights about building their consulting businesses and delighting their clients. Thanks for listening. Hey, this is Scott Love. Thanks for joining me again on the Rainmaking Podcast. We're continuing our series with Deb Zahn talking about the path to closing a deal. Deb, thanks for joining me on the show again today. Oh, my pleasure. I'm so happy to talk more with you about this. Yeah, this is great because this is something we could probably spend every week talking about because <laughs> there's <laughs> no true. end. There's no end to the madness, right? That's right. <laughs> so just to kind of recap, we're talking about the different strategies for closing a deal. Let's kind of pick up where we left off last time. Let's say we're at the end of our meeting. We're with our client, whether it's in person or Zoom. Tell me about what happens at that point. Gotcha. So you have, you know, you you prepped like a wild person and then you got in the room and you have wowed them. But what you have to do by the end of that meeting is you have to get a next step. And that next step has to be a bridge to get a proposal in front of them for actual work that you're hoping to do with them. You know, one of the big pieces of advice, because I've seen this mistake made quite a bit, is first of all, watch the time. It's your job to make sure that the meeting flows appropriately so that you can have enough time at the end to really talk about what next steps will be. The worst thing is when you note the clock's ticking, you're headed towards the end of it, and they suddenly have to go and you have you have no next step with them. So, you know, you don't have any way to say, hey, you know, why don't I do this for you? So watch the time. You want to make sure that there are no sort of closed or open loops. You want to close all the loops so that, you know, by the end of it, they may say, hey, this has been great. I'd love to have you put a proposal in front of me for X. But a lot of times, even if you've had a terrific meeting, they might not ask for it. And you got to know that it's your job to close the loop. So if you're heading towards the end of it and they haven't asked for a proposal, but they seem, you know, very much in, you know, into what you're talking about, then I will actually say, well, look, I've loved this conversation. I think there's two things I can help you achieve. In which case I state what outcomes that they've articulated they want that I think I can help them with. And I either suggest I give them a proposal or at that point they may ask me for one. If for some reason they're still not clear and they're not sure that they want a proposal, I will do the next best thing. And I will say, tell you what, here's, what, here's the two outcomes I can help you achieve. You've got a few options for how I can help you do that. Let me mm-hmm. put something on a piece of paper and then let's talk again. And then I try and book that meeting right in that moment. I tell them when they're going to receive that and I book it before we get off the Zoom or I walk out the door. 
So the goal of this meeting is to get to the next step. That's right. And, and to set that up, whether that's another call, uh, whether it's an invitation of a proposal. Right. And l- let me ask you this. You talk about building a bridge. How do we build this bridge to present the proposal? What, what are some of the segue moments that you've seen where you go from your investigative questions, you made a presentation? How do you build that bridge to that step in the process? Yeah. So that's where I will usually, either with a question or a statement, say, you know, just as I said a moment ago, you know, here's where I think I can be most helpful to you. Here's the outcomes that I'm hearing you say. They sound like they're your top priority. Is that right? Because they might have talked about a whole bunch of things. So now I'm already adding value to them because I'm helping them prioritize among likely the multiple things that they said. And I'm trying to pinpoint what I would potentially put in a proposal for them. So I will usually, you know, clarify with them, seems like these are your top priorities. Here are the things I heard you say that matter most to you right now, or here's the things that you said that you're worried about. And then I pivot to, I think I can help you accomplish X and Y and see if they if they want a proposal. If they're not sure, I'm going to suggest that I put something in front of them. So I'm like, let me just write something up and you can take a look at it and see if it matches what you want, or you can share it with your team and see if it matches what you want. Got it. And then I try and book an appointment to review it with them. If there's other people that need to be in the room because there's other decision makers, I will ask questions to identify that. So I might say, if it's not clear to me or they've dropped hints that they're not the only decision maker, they tend to do things more by consensus, I'll actually say, is there anybody else that, that you want in the room when we review this? Right. And then I follow up to make sure that happens. So how do you then really figure out, let's say there's a professional service provider they had this meeting and how do they know for sure that they're really talking to the right person? Is that something that they should have figured out before setting up this meeting? How do you recommend? Yeah, generally that should be part of your prep is to find out as much as possible about if you're in the right room with the right person, who's actually the decider. If not, those are questions that you need. So if you can't really tell because it could be that they should be the right person, but some cultures of organizations and companies are such that really the CEO makes all the decisions. Right. You can ask questions while you're in the room with them to tease that out. And it can be as simple and straightforward as asking, so if we were to work together, is there anybody else that needs to be part of the decision about that? So I try and state it in such a way that it doesn't diminish mm-hmm. <laughs> how they feel about themselves in mm-hmm. their role. Because sure. you never know what the dynamics are internally. So I'll usually ask a question like that. And good chunk of the time, what I hear is, it's really my decision, but I also want to bring my CFO into this, or I also right. want to bring right. someone else into that. In which case, that's great. If they're the decider, then you're golden and you can now talk to them about a proposal. And so do you think then let's say I've got to get my CFO on this. Do you think an appropriate next step would be, well, let me set schedule a conference call with your CFO directly just to make that introduction, make sure that there's a relationship. So that's, that's probably a likely option then. Is that correct? Yeah, I think so. And, and 
to keep that moving when it's fresh. So if they had a good experience with you, you want to make sure that if you're going to set up that meeting, offer to do it, offer to do the legwork to make it happen. So, you know, if they have a scheduler, say, let me get with your scheduler. I'll get a time on the book soon and then move on that as, as soon as humanly possible because they're not going to remember everything that you said, right. but that you want them to at least have the glow <laughs> of having a good experience with you have a little bit of that glow still going on so that, again, that increases the chance that they're going to be receptive when you talk to them next. Right. And let me ask you, during that first meeting, before you get to the proposal, do you ever talk about money such as, well, how much are you going to charge for this? Well, it depends on how much you got. I mean, how, how do you make that transition when you're talking about fees and things like that? I usually don't in the first meeting unless I have some reason to believe that there's a price sensitivity. So typically what I like to do is is to get them to articulate not just what outcomes they want, but the value of those outcomes to them. So I will also ask questions related to, you know, what's going to happen or what's the risk if you don't achieve that outcome? So I, I want to give them a real good feel for not only does this matter to you as an outcome, but the value of it is high. And then, you know, I will articulate what the price is. And I'll get to a moment because usually I don't just give one price. I usually give uh, tiers. Right. I'll explain in a moment why I do that. But unless I know for some reason that there's a price sensitivity, and if there is, I may ask, you know, if they ask for a proposal or I, or I suggest one, I might say, are there any parameters that I need to keep in mind when I'm putting this proposal together? Right. And I try and use the word parameters because I don't want to <laughs> ignite a desire for them to keep the budget low. So if the budget's not a problem, I don't want to invite them to say that it is. Mm-hmm. And sometimes their parameters might be, look, we're really slammed for the next two weeks, so we're not going to be able to look at it until after that. That's perfectly fine. It's helpful that I know that. But unless I know the budget's a problem, I don't want to say price and say budget and get them to try and sort of ratchet it down before they see in front of them the value that I can really provide. Got it. So then what about objections that come up during this meeting? How do you handle those client objections to something that you may have proposed to them? You bet. So the first thing is you shouldn't be surprised by most of them. So you Mm -hmm. should have in your prep anticipated what some of those objections would be like, you know, Timeline, scope, price. I mean, those are all things that are really common. There might be things that you particularly know about who you're talking to that you should anticipate and you should prepare for not just how you're going to respond to them, but how you get out ahead of it. So for example, if I know that timeline is really important and they need to have things happen quickly because I understand what's happening in their environment and there there really is an urgency, then when I'm talking to them about what I can do to help them, I express that urgency so they don't have to say it to me and hope that I, I will also feel urgent. So I try and frame what I say relative to the things that are often objections. Otherwise, if they do bring up, you should have prepared what your answers are. And Mm -hmm. I always frame the answers ahead of time. One in, you want to make sure that they can feel that you are empathetic to the things that matter to them. And I don't mean fake it. I mean like really are empathetic to what their particular situation is and to voice that. 
So for example, if they do bring up price, I will ask questions in terms of, tell me more about what your budget limitations are. And you notice at that moment, I switched from using the word price to using the word budget mm-hmm. because price, I don't want price and value to get smushed together. I actually want it to be clear that at this point, we're talking about what their budget is, in which case I can adjust the scope to meet their budget. We can talk about what reasonable outcomes are relative to their budget, but I don't want to have a conversation where they're now questioning if my price is too high or too low. My price is my price. <laughs> right, right. So let me ask you this then, Deb, let's say you're in a meeting and have you ever seen this happen? This is your first meeting or relatively first meeting. Maybe it's a relationship that you've had, they've never bought from you and you get invited in and you talk specifically, precisely about the solutions you have. You've asked good questions. You've done your research. You know exactly what their pain points are and you, you hit them one, two, three and they're, they're nodding their head. Yes, we yep. absolutely are interested. Have you ever had it happen where they say, Deb, don't even worry about a proposal. Just do a cocktail napkin estimate on what you would do for us and how much you would charge. Yeah. Have you ever had that happen before? Oh, I've had it happen a lot and I never do it. I've never once oh, really? asked to that, not once. You don't one, want to get them to sign the agreement right then and there before they leave the parking lot and go back home? Well, <laughs> no. One is, let's. It's, so I'm going to just be honest, I'm horrible at math. So I right. am the worst person in the world. Like an envelope is of no use to me. I need an Excel or I can't, I right. can't do math in my head. I just can't. And I know, and I usually tell them that and I laugh and they think it's funny and that, that sort of takes the heat off. But the other reason is, is, is there are a number of other things that a proposal or a contract does for you that are really important, which is why I don't actually want to skip that step. Mm-hmm. Because there's two other things. When, you're, when you put a proposal, or in my case, my proposals are also the contract, so they could just sign those, is you're trying to accomplish three things. Is you're trying to get a yes. And if I sort of you know, responded to that quickly just to get a yes, that might be fine. But I'm also trying to get a high value yes. So I want to give them the maximum amount of value that I can. And I want them to pay me for that. And that gives me an opportunity. And I typically do this in a proposal where I will provide them with typically three options. Each of those options are higher levels of value. Mm -hmm. And of course, with higher levels of value, you get, you know, higher price. And I want to make that case for them that they, you know, that they have options. So if they have some price sensitivity, if they have whatever, that's fine. They can choose among these. They're going to get value at every level. But, you know, I'm going to obviously encourage them to allow me to, you know, give them the full amount of value. Contracts and proposals do that. The third thing they do is they let me manage expectations. And the worst thing that could happen is, especially if I, you know, say yes to conversations like that, that's also setting the tone for the contract itself where they're probably going to change the scope a whole bunch and then they're going to want to do it on the fly. (laughs) And and if I don't have that in writing, I'm going to constantly be in conversations about price and scope that I don't want to be in. So have you had this happen, or let me, let me kind of back up before I ask that other question. The first one I'm thinking of in your proposal, is there any, any psychology associated with which option is first, which option oh, yes. is second and third? How do you normally <laughs> structure that? Yes. And there is a psychology to it. My experience is people will at least choose the middle. So how I do is I present, present 
the lowest value option first. And that lowest value option should be exactly the bare minimum that they asked for. And it should be in their language. Here's the outcome you want. Here's what value you said is associated with that outcome. The next tier will be that plus either something else that I think will help them or something else that I heard in that room that they said is also valuable to them. And then the top tier is even more than that. So the top tier will be the last thing that they see. And what I'm actually doing quite intentionally is I'm creating a hunger, increasing hunger at every step for additional value. And and then I usually present it in a a table so that they can actually, you know, kind of like when you go on a site and you're looking to buy something and you do a comparison and it's side by side, mm-hmm. I will include that. And again, the psychology is, is most people don't want to get the minimum value. They want to get more. So right. most times they will pick the middle one and often they will actually pick the top one. So in your proposal, are you spending more time talking about these are the results you're going to achieve If we do option A, B, C, this is what you're going to experience when you get those results. Or are you focusing more on this is the amount of work and these are the action steps I'm going to take in delivering this consulting project? That's a great question. So I emphasize the first. So I typically have an order to how I present things because, you know, one is I don't assume that they will remember anything we said in the room. And I want them to be really clear that it's all about them. So the order is for each of those tiers will be, one is them. What outcome do they want? What is the circumstance in which they're trying to achieve that outcome? And what's the value of that outcome to them? Mm -hmm. And then the second thing is, is I say how I will help them achieve those results. So that's a little bit more of the how, which I've actually seen consultants skip this and not get contracts because they didn't, they think their how is a secret sauce and they didn't want to share it. But the folks on the other end have to be reasonably assured that you can get them from where they are today to the outcome that you say you can help them achieve. So you have to give them something that helps them understand that that's possible and matches how they actually want to spend their time and energy. That's great. If they're involved. Right. And then the third is, then I explain to them why I'm exactly the right person to help them achieve that outcome. And so it's, you know, it's value, value, and then why I'm the right person to give you that value. So you might even be putting in that third part, why you're, and that's within the proposal where here's mm-hmm. option A, this is the minimum, this is what, what we're going to accomplish, uh, this is the price, and then this is what I'm going to do, how I achieve it, and then this is why I'm the right person to help you achieve that. So you're actually reiterating your distinction, your qualifications in that proposal. Do you do that on each line item, on each of your three recommendations? It depends. So one is, one thing just to correct is I actually put price last (laughs) because I I want them to understand why that price is perfectly reasonable. Mm -hmm. But it depends on the scope. If the scope is scope of each of the tiers is closely related, I might not. I might just have a separate section that says, you know, why they would be ridiculous to go to anybody else. If there's additional things that require extra knowledge and skills and particular insights and experience, then yes, I will actually break it down by tiers. And so within your proposal, do you, let's say you have your three different options, we can call it bronze, silver, and gold (laughs) for for the three different. And, And so let's say, do you put, okay, here's bronze, silver, and gold, and then the things that you mentioned about the outcome, the value, how you achieve it, why you're the right person for each of those. 
And then do you have a separate paragraph where this is the price for bronze, this is the price for silver, this is the price for gold? Or do you include it together in section one is silver, everything about that at the very end is price? Or how do you normally structure that? It's the latter. So if you think about it, so I will actually have a summary table, which does include the price at the, mm-hmm. at the bottom of each one. So here's the bronze price, here's the silver, and here's the gold. And then I go deeper so that they understand more about each one. And at the bottom, I will also put the price. Okay, I don't good. actually put a lot of explanation behind the price because everything that came before it should make them feel that that price is perfectly reasonable. You know, this is interesting. And let me kind of press pause to what we're talking about with the proposal and kind of take what you've said and see how it applies to many people that might be listening. We've got lawyers listening. We've got others in professional services. It might not necessarily be management consultants, Mm -hmm. but what is the kind of work that you're doing as a management consultant? Are you spending more time doing one-on-one coaching? Are you conducting surveys? Are you running focus groups? Are you doing training? What's the pie chart of what you do and how does that get broken (laughs) down into that pie chart? So over time, my pie chart has had fewer slices in it as I've become known for certain things. So the the sort of joke way to say it is I cure decision-making disorders, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is I usually get brought in when there's a group. Often it is it is distinct entities or it could be, you know, leaders within a single organization and I help them make decisions. So for example, when there is an organization that is doing a merger with someone else, so I've worked on mergers before, I will be the ear for the CEO of the entity that's that's leading the merger initiative and help them make decisions step by step. You know, they've got their lawyers who are doing the lawyer piece, they've got their, you know, other folks who are doing the operational piece, but I'm the person that's helping them figure out what are the right questions to ask and how do you make decisions along the way. Or if it's a group of separate entities, which again, I'm known for, which if a group of different entities are coming together to form some new legal entity, and I work in healthcare, so there's lots of types of legal entities you could form, I will help them figure out step-by-step what questions do we need to ask and answer and what decisions do we need to make in order to get to the point where we can not just form that new entity, that new legal entity, but also achieve the things that we said we're trying to achieve with it. So the perfect example is there was actually other consultants who I've worked with a lot, including some lawyers (laughs) who Mm -hmm. were working with a group for probably a couple years of separate entities that were trying to come together and they just couldn't make decisions. So finally, one of them said, can we just we just get Deb in here because Deb will make them make decisions. And sure enough, within a, within a short time, boom, we were able to walk them through and get them to make that's decisions. That's great. Get me Deb's on. That's, that's pretty what, much it. Like, yeah, it. people are mad at each other. People can't make decisions. They're circling around all the time. That's when I get brought in. That's fantastic. So let me, let me kind of ask you this final question here. After you close this deal, how do you and what do you do next to get more business? So one is every deal should be an opportunity to get more business. So the first thing you have to do is you can't just focus on your next deal. You have to focus on that client and wowing them, which means they have to get derive excellent value from you. So really good value for the price you charge them. And they have to have an excellent experience. If those two things happen, you will create 
uh, marketing ambassadors <laughs> for mm-hmm. you. I have one who just can't stop talking about me. I swear she talks about me more than my mom does. Oh, that's great. <laughs> and, that's nice. And I've gotten a lot of business from that. But I've also, I ask. So I will, one, if I see other things that I could potentially help them with, I will ask. That's that's additional business. If I want them to refer me to others that they know, I will ask them. Often they do it themselves, but I think it's really helpful to ask. And then I will also use them as references so that I can get other deals or they'll allow me to drop their name and then somebody goes to them and and the person says, oh my goodness, yes, she's the person to work Mm -hmm. with. And that's different than sort of typical icky upsells where you you never want to look like you only care about getting more money. You really want to focus on, I care about you. I care about the things you're trying to accomplish. I want to help other people accomplish things too. And if you do it in that sort of, you know, good, clean, heart-centered way, you get a ton of business. I had this happen in, there was a state when I worked in a firm, done very business and we didn't have an office. And we had two, what I called seed clients. One was actually responding to an RFP request for proposal. The other one was a reference from a similar entity in another state. Mm -hmm. And from those two, we ended up with, over the course of just a few years, over $6 million worth of business. Wow, Wow, that's great. Well, Deb, you've you've got some wisdom. I have a great chart that shows it. Yeah, you've got tremendous a tremendous amount of wisdom, and I want to thank you for being on the show today. And when let's kind of wrap this up. And what I want to do two things: I want to ask you to kind of take three action steps that you could share with our listeners. What are three action steps you could give for them to kind of integrate some of these ideas? And then after that, kind of give us an overview about your offerings, things that you'd want people to know about what you do. So if they reach out to you, you can help them. And we'll put all of your contact information on the show notes. You bet. So the first thing I want folks to do is if there's someone on your prospect list, and hopefully you have a prospect list, but somebody who you've just been delaying reaching out to for whatever reason, and yet you could get a meeting with them, they, there's some reason you could believe that you might be able to help them, just do it. Set that up, then go back and do your homework, but don't overthink it. Don't delay. Just do it and then do all of the work that you need to do ahead of time to make sure that you wow them. I would also say it is worth, if you've got a proposal in front of you that you need to construct for a client, try the tiering approach. Just, Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be perfect. There's no exact right way to do it, except that it should focus on value. You're tiering value, you're not tiering price, although the price changes, obviously. Give that a try and see if that works for you and see if that enables you to get more business. And then the last thing is, is just, you know, and I actually have a tool that can help with this. I've, I've got a free tool on my website called Tips and Scripts for Tricky Client Conversations. Included in that is some of the things that you can say if they have an objection to the price or to your scope or to the timeline. Oh, that's great. Yeah, and get familiar saying those things in response so that it doesn't trip you up in the moment. That's great, Deb. And we'll put that on the show notes. And what are some other things you'd want people to know about you and the services you offer that can help them if they reach out to you? You bet. So in addition to being a practicing uh, consultant, I also uh, have the craft of consulting, which is my business where I help professionals become successful consultants and basically be able to start, build, and grow their business. So if you go to craftofconsulting.com 
If you click on get help, there's a number of ways that I can help you, including some free trainings on things like how to determine what your price is and your pricing model, as well as other things that that you can get that'll help you with business development. And then if you click on start here, there's a number of free tools that you can use, including things like if you're reaching out to your network and you're going to send a networking email out to try and get access to other people's network, I have the entire template for the entire email sequence. That's great. Well, that's rich. Thank you so much, Deb, for all of your generosity today. Thanks for being a great guest. I'm sure we'll have you back on here again because there's no end to the things that we can talk about. (laughs) And so uh, thank you so much for being here on the show today, Deb. I appreciate it. Thanks so much, Scott. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.